Okay, people, so welcome to another episode of Echo Chamber, another one of our bonus episodes, and we are back with our Sci-Fi London coverage. So after all the technical difficulties, you know, I wanted to bring you the rest of the reviews and interviews from the festival. So today got a nice little treat for you we are going to um i'm gonna bring you a review of accelerator which is the new film from david Ginkola and john james so they um yeah they worked on this one um david uh wrote the film along with Mike Ford and he directed John James produced it stars um Sean Young Maxwell Clawford Laura James Sam J Jones Ryan Wisen David Johnson man it was it's just a it, it, you know it was made to be like an 80s film so we've got that we're bringing you that review as well as a review with David and John talking about the film so they're gonna give you the lowdown on um just how it was produced and put together and just everything like that so um yeah I hope you enjoy it and um yeah, let's get right into it, okay? Cool. So, making its UK premiere at Sci-Fi London is Accelerator. It is the new film from David Ginkola. Um, it's starring Sean Young, Maxwell Caulford, Sam J. Jones and John James um, with new rising stars um, Ryan Wisen and Laura James um, so this is the basic gist of the story uh, Dane who's played by Wisen, was going to steal one last car before he quit forever, but is disturbed by Thomas, an inventor being chased by the police, the FBI and the CIA. Trapped in the maniac crossfire, Thomas passes a device to Dane, who is teleported miles away into the arms of Kate, played by James. She could be the girl of his dreams, except for the global conspiracy he has just embroiled her in. The FBI's Ray Mortis, played by Clawfield, wants to destroy it. Amanda Graham, played by Sean Young, wants it for the CIA. And rogue agent Side Devil, played by John James, has his sinister plans. Cy unleashes his brutal assassin, Brink. 
Sam J. Jones, who leaves a trail of corpses behind him while pursuing the accelerator device. To stay alive, Dane and Kate must discover the accelerator's secrets. Now, this was... Man, this was crazy, you know? They're like... <laughs> I, I I spoke to um David and John and um they were saying to me that they wanted to make a film that was akin to the classic eighties actioners. You know what I mean? And I think we've heard that a lot. You know, we've heard a a lot of times when a new film is being made that yo we want to um we want to kind of capture the spirit of the old classic action films of the 80s you know like they said it when they made the new conan film they said it when they were making the um dispensables is it the dispensables that Slice Stallone and the old 80s people's ones. I think there was three of them, wasn't there? Um, yeah, so we've heard it, but Expendables, Dispensables, Jesus Christ, Expendables, that's it. But, um, yeah, but once you see the film, it never delivers, man. Like, they never packed that same punch. I've got to say... This is it. This film, man, like from beginning to end, you are just thinking classic 80s from the great song that they chose as the theme. Like that straight away really just invokes the era for you. So you've got that. And then throughout the film the soundtrack that is being used you know just to kind of key the scenes to key the adrenaline and all that kind of stuff it was just yeah straight out of the 80s playbook then you've got the story this this crazy absurd story of these things just falling into place that like wait what how does uh, okay like, I, I I think just a classes, classic bit was like, um, we've got Kate talking to her boss and, and the boss is just like, you know what, Kate? Like, when someone, when, when the man of your dreams drops into your lap and whisks you away, until then, you've got to do what I say. And then out of nowhere... Dane drops into her lap and whisks her away. And the boss is just like, wait, what just happened? That was, it was just funny, man. And it was just like, yeah. They're, they're, they're just straight up 80s right there, you know? So you've got that. You've got some of the lines, like Sam Jones was dropping. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was just great it just really kind of packed that punch but you you know like now 
you have these stories and and things make more a bit more sense you know like dane is just says to kate look are you gonna help me she's like yeah okay and he's just like wait what like what you don't know anything about this dude why would you help him but that was the story back in back in the 80s right like you had these situations and you'd be like wait what why is that happening that makes no sense but it but it goes um like just <laughs> just some of the reveals were hilarious and uh, yeah just hilarious you've got at the end you're just to save and the fact there was like one minute like one second left and they're jumping and you're just like you get hit by the back wash of that explosion but in true 80s fashion they survive and kick ass it's uh yeah it, it, i've i've just enjoyed the hell out of this film it just invoked just crazy just happy emotions man it, it was just so funny and it, it just gives you that buzz you know it was like when you watch um certain films like you know rocky is a classic one and a, an example you can easily use like you hit eye of the tiger and you're just like oh shit yeah you know i want to go run some stairs now and punch some meat in a freezer or the karate kid and at the end I, I just remember going to see karate kid um Hmm. I see. I don't know if I saw Karate Kid one in the cinema. I know I saw Karate Kid three, and um, yeah, at the end when he wins and it's all like ah crazy, and then everyone is and at the time I was doing judo, and at the time everyone left the cinema. I was like, yo, mom, mom, dad, can I take up karate? And I'm thinking, yeah, I do. I I can do this shit. I do judo, motherfucker. But it, it makes you feel like yo i want to go and you know what I mean beat up the world i want to go save some people and do some crazy shit and that's what th this is what this film does to you you're just pumped it just pumps you up and it just leaves you just with a happy grin on your face because you're just like that's what i needed that's what i needed just something fun like that you know like it wasn't doom and gloom it, it was just craziness you know i'm gonna let you go but what i just want you to do like can you do it for me can you just do me this one thing i just need you to act just need you to act and convince people for me convince people that you're a corpse <laughs> oh man it's just like uh just lines like that just how can you hate something with lines like that right <laughs> it was just great you know it was, yeah it was just great so listen if you get the chance to see it go watch it because you won't be disappointed 
if you are looking for a fun, action-packed film that's a bit silly, but will keep you hooked all the way through, okay? So, um, yeah, that was Accelerator from David Ginkola, John James, Sean Young, Maxwell Crawford, and Sam J. Jones. Okay, so I'm here with David Giancola and John James, and we're going to talk about their new film, Accelerator, that is premiering at the Sci-Fi London Film Festival. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for, um, yeah, sparing your time and doing this. Uh, I think, first of all, let's start off with maybe... Can you give me the the boiler pitch, just the kind of essence of what this film is? Accelerator, I mean, the story is about a uh, car thief who stumbles onto a teleportation device. Um, that It's a prototype teleportation device that eventually um, everybody, all every government agency on the planet is looking for, obviously because of its value um, as a weapon um, for espionage. And uh, with the inventor who, who invented it um, for reasons we don't understand and it, it doesn't quite work. And so that's the plot. But the, but the idea behind the movie Accelerator was to make kind of an 80s-centric movie that had... Uh, oh, it, has, it, has, it has 80s actors in it too. Sam J. Jones, you know, from Flash Gordon. John James here from Dynasty. Sean Young from Blade Runner. Uh, Maxwell Caulfield from Grease 2. And then our two young leads, Laura James, who's on uh, TV SWAT, and Ryan Racine, who's a newcomer. Um, so the, so the, and it has 80-centric elements in terms of production, even right down to the color correction. Okay. But, Do but, you the, I, like but the idea is that, that those 80s movies that you love, like Back to the Future, yeah. um, even like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, that had a sense of fun and, a, and had a sense of fun about themselves. They weren't satire, they weren't parody, but they just had a lightness of tone to them and a lack of cynicism. And, yeah. and that's what Accelerator is. It's something that uh, you can see it, you can laugh, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, when you're done with the movie, you feel better than when you started the movie. Okay. And are you using that kind of 80s, you know, voice of, in a time of, you know, you know. <laughs> well, John does that. He's got that voice. Well, I think, yeah, we very much so, we wanted it to be, People who watch and love sci-fi, we'd like them to walk out and say, how did I miss that movie in the 80s? <laughs> yes. And that's exactly what we've got. And the trailer, I think, doesn't do the movie justice because it's funny. There's a lot of good laughs in it because we don't take ourselves seriously. Um, it's just a very good, feel-good movie. And it's a lot of fun. It's a real roller coaster. Okay, that, that's, that's cool. And so when you were writing it, was there the intention of putting comedy in it? Or was it a case... Because this is the thing, right, what I found. Um, if you remember, like, Blade, when that came out early 2000s, and it, it, it was, you know, because it had bullet time before The Matrix... Sure. And there was this dark humour in the film, but it wasn't like 
this is a funny moment. This is, and then you get to movies like some of the other, like after that, then the next phase of comic book films, you, they were like, oh, we got to have funny. We're putting in, this is the funny moment. This is the funny. And so you like, you know, people seem to miss the understanding that in general life, sometimes there's funny, but you're not trying to be funny. There's just funny. So like when you were writing this, is that, was that the kind of intention or were you trying to have a, a funny tone to it? We weren't really trying to have a funny tone to it. What we were trying to do was have a, an, an unironic tone to it. And then we also knew that we're working in... It's a genre film. So mm. we knew we were working in a genre that there are tropes. Yeah. And, and you can't avoid those tropes. If you're making a time travel movie, there are certain tropes. If you're making an, a Western, there are certain tropes. So we decided to, to have fun with those tropes. There are no really overt kind of jokes in the movie... There's just these moments that come out of the characters and situations that are funny, that are fun. Mm. And, and that's where it came from. We didn't try and pack it with jokes. We didn't try and make it self-referential. It's just, um, especially watching it with audiences, mm -hmm. the, the laughs come from the situations um, and the, and the um, kind of doubling down on some of those situations. And, and that's what we wanted to do. And that's, that was really... The and I think also it's... The Performances too. It's uh, to give you an example. It's the performances that and the um, values that are you know the situations are such high uh, high stakes high stakes yeah. that you laugh. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to give it away. But what happens to my character? I haven't seen people clap. Toward the end of the movie, when the bad guy gets it, when the bad it, guy yeah. gets it, yeah, yeah, it's so we uh, we looked at each other. I mean, we haven't screened it that much, but we did win uh, a best picture in in Boston at the Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival, yeah. following the festival. And David and I, we elbow each other and we go three, two, one, laugh. Yeah, we've been sitting. We'll stand in the back of the screening because we know we've seen. We know where it's coming. Mm. We know where the beats are, and that's really fulfilling. That's really so. Great. We I mean, didn't set out to do that. We kind of fell into it. You no, know, and the direction I gave, if you remember, John, on set, the direction I gave as director very often was to make sure, especially with like Sam Jones, who's such a big actor, to not chew the scenery. We don't want yeah. to chew in the scenery. Um, play it real. Play it straight, and and let it come from the script and the situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you know your your directing style on this film. It was a bit kind of like more hands off. Like let the actors kind of breathe the role, kind of thing. Well, actually, my directing style has evolved over the years because I I started out as more of a technical director, worried about the technical aspects, um, and and I was a cinematographer, I was a union cinematographer for a while, so. You know, in my I did not go to film school, so you know my process was to learn every job. Because you're, the, you're, the, you're the boss on the set, but it, in fact, in Accelerator, I spent more time with the actors than I did on any other film. Um, but my but it is true that my common direction was, uh, especially with I think with Laura and Ryan, <coughs> they got sick of hearing it. I would say, okay, let's do another one and let's not act this time, just say the lines. And I think that was one of my. Um, my, my biggest directions was, um, and, and, and I was a co-writer on the screenplay as well, but 
one of my biggest directions was to tell the actors not to act and again not to choose the scenery and to not play it big play it for reality mm -hmm. so how did you actually you know before, how did you get involved with this John David and I go way back we go back now um, nearly 20 years I moved from Hollywood and uh, David lives in Vermont my agent called me from Hollywood and said, you're not going to believe this, but you can drive your pickup truck to this movie <laughs> if you want to do it. And that's when I met David. I made a movie called um, uh, Icebreaker with Sean Astin. Uh, Bruce Campbell, Bruce Stacey Campbell, Keach. Stacey Keach. Yeah. And uh, that's where David and I met. And I ended up doing two, three or four films for David after that. And each progressive film, I said, you know, David, eventually these studios out there and these money people are going to move on and find some other places. They're going to work where they can feel they can get a better deal, which eventually they did. And then I got a call from David a couple of years after that and said, okay, you want to make a movie? And um, I said, yeah. So we started producing together. And uh, this is our third project. And I think this is the best one. Oh, that's great. And... Where, with the casting, like, how did you, did, like, did you read more or was Sly the, the first character that you were like, I'm well, going to be here? We, we went after a number of different actors. Um, it's, casting is very difficult. And just by fate and chance, and we were able to get this cast that's perfect. Um, we, Sean Young, is, it's, when you watch this, it'll take you right back to the days of, it sounds like it's a Ghostbusters film, her delivery. Um, working when, when she was in Stripes, that kind of 80s real sort of uh, Rick Moranos. Sort mm. of. Self, kind of self-aware. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's perfect. Max Caulfield, um, I worked with on Dynasty and the Colbys, and he's an old friend, and we haven't worked together since then, nearly 30 years. Oh, okay. And we were the, the Cain and Abel. We were the, you know, two brothers that tried to kill each other. <laughs> and here we are in the movie, and I finally... Well, I can't give that away. The most interesting casting was Sam Jones. Well, like, well this is the yeah. thing, is that we went after Tony Todd. We, well, we shouldn't say that who we... But well, we, went okay. we went after a number of actors. For the role of Brent. And either they weren't available, or this or that, and this and that, and this and that. So I'm sitting in David's office and we're having a drink. It's about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And I look around and there on David's wall is a signed poster of Flash Gordon by Sam Jones. And I went... An original, by the way. Back when they made posters. Oh. And they, they, you know, they, they drew them. It was they were illustrated. It was yeah, 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 yeah. from a theater. Um, and, and it's framed and, and happens to be in my office because I'm not just a filmmaker, I'm also a film fan. And I looked up and I went, my goodness, there's Brink. Because he's sort of a Brink is sort of Terminator in this, it's, and he said, "What do you think? You think you can get him?" I said, "I know Sam. I know Sam from the day." So I called a friend of mine. I said, "Pat, I said I need to get a hold of Sam." So we sent him out the script, and that's how we got Sam Jones. Outstanding. <clears throat> yep. that, that's great. And so was it always the fault to have the. You know, the, 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 the older cast to play these roles and yes. then younger, newer yeah, people yes. to play yeah. the, the, the... The idea was that um, it wouldn't have been palatable 
um, or physically possible for the older cast to kind of do the, the, the kinetic action that we have. And, and that was, you know, I, I, I believe in balance and casting in, in, in everything we do. And that was the nice balance of having two young leads. Um, and, and, and it was Laura's, Laura's first feature and Ryan's first feature. And they brought this great energy to it that, you know, you can watch the movie, even if you're, you don't know who these 80s celebrities are, you can just watch it as a movie and have a great time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was always intentional in the casting we do. Putting you know? an 80s hook into the film was also my intention by the casting. We tried to pick some, myself included, who were fairly big names in, in the day mm. during the 80s. And we wanted that as kind of a wink and a nod, so to speak, back in a tribute to that period. But also to talk to David, to speak to David. Um, <clears throat> David is very, as, as, as an eye for young talent, he gave um, Chris Evans his oh. first job. Yeah. Kate Bosworth, her first job. Oh, good damn it. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, his first job. So this young uh, boy, who else, who else is here? Oh my, I mean, um, Paul Dano. Um, in oh, yeah, that, yeah, same, yeah, yeah. that same movie with Chris Evans we cast him in his first job Josh Peck who was uh, in, in the US is a, was on Nickelodeon for many years doing a thing called uh, Drake and Josh and, oh yes yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, I remember so and, and there's, there's probably some more I can't remember but you know we at so Ryan Stan, was seen in this film well, yeah we think Ryan was seen going to be a big star. star yeah we think Ryan was seen going to be a big star going to be a star of the future. He's fantastic. It sounds like you need to write something into those contracts. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's through the top. They don't call me anymore. Um, but, but, you know, it was one of those things where the, the old joke about my company, Edgewood Studios, is if you're working for Edgewood Studios, your career's on the way up or they're on the way down, which is not up here. So, you know, we but we get them, you know, we get... It, it sometimes it's about timing, you know, um, and and with especially with like Chris Evans, you could see it, you could see that yeah. talent. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, who I had to fight for on a, on the movie that I, I put him in, you could just see it; it was coming off of him. Um, it's funny that they ended up doing superhero stuff, both of them, but <laughs> but you could just find it. And I see that in Ryan, I see that in Laura James as well, and she's already she's on SWAT. She just got picked up for that, which is on its. Uh, Third season. Third season. Okay. So she's, she's a season regular, and I think I think Laura is going to be uh, real busy. And and I, you know, that was one of the things with Laura. I had Laura in mind for a long time, and I was kind of waiting for her to, in my mind, mature in terms of her talents, and and she did obviously. And and but I also was, I, I'm also a capitalist too, so I'm thinking I need to get these actors, you know, while I can still afford them, you know. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I can see. I think, and I and I. But it's funny that you mentioned that about actors. You know, after can I put it in their contract to get it? Um, my my, I, even when I talked to Ryan now, I said you, you need to remember to call me. <laughs> your phone rings, you owe me. Baby. So we'll see. But I, I guess that must help your films in the fact that you know, like a lot of times when people see someone in the Avengers, say, and they they think, oh, I like that actor, they're great. They then go back to go, oh, what other stuff? Did, and they look yes. into like the older back catalogue. Sure. So it must kind of help from that point. It's it's very true, and it's good for our, it's been very good for our company that you know those movies do get relicensed, those older titles, mm. because people want to see Chris Evans and Kate Bosworth and all that. So yeah, that's that's true. It's it's good business on top of being yeah. good entertainment. And does it help when it comes to financing? 
Because, you know, trying to get people to invest in the film or people to pick up the film, there's a fact that they know that you have had this eye and you found this great talent. So, hey, let, let's, let's back your film because the chances are these actors who we don't know now are the next big thing. I mean, obviously, it's, you always are going, as an independent filmmaker, you're always going back to that well of starting from zero to finance your film. And that does help. That fact that, you know, Edgewood has, um, the company owns about four, 16 features, and we produce features for other companies as well. That does make a difference. And, and that is part of the pitch that you need to bring forward. Go to the Cannes <coughs> Festival um, after this. And, uh, and yeah, that's part of the, the pitch. You know, it's part of the, those, and, and it gets remembered too. You know, the, those distributors remember that stuff. So absolutely. Great. And with the process with Accelerator, like, um, how did you kind of envision it? Because I guess a, a thing with sci-fi films is, uh, I, I guess a lot of the budget goes into the effects and everything like this. So when you are kind of envisioning the film, do you kind of think, all right, how can we make it with minimal CGI? How can we, with minimal effects? Or it's like, what's, what's the thinking there? Well, I, I, you know, in this day and age, just in terms of the cost of making independent films, there's no avoiding the green screen for self um, in terms of the budget that you need. But, but Accelerator was, um, and I always have this problem being an independent filmmaker with limited budgets. I always, my, my, my scope, I mean, what I want the scope of the films to be is always way too big. And actually, mm. the original draft of Accelerator was um, probably a movie that would have cost... 20 times what we actually made. Um, but, but in terms of, of working with um, the other screenwriters and in the development process, we got it into something that I thought was, was exactly what I wanted. But in, in, in terms of the movie, you know, we have to have, dot our I's and cross our T's in the production process. So there's a lot of action in the movie. That action was pre-edited, pre-vised, um, so the actors on, on set would be able to know what's going on. So normally you shoot a movie um, with your A unit and then your B unit shoots afterwards. We do the reverse, which is we bring the B unit um, and shoot beforehand as much as possible so the actors can respond to it. Uh, okay. and, then, and then we shoot, we, we shoot more afterwards as well, of course. But, so we had the ability to bring it up on, a, on an iPhone or an iPad, you know, kind of if, if an actor's in a car chase and they're reacting. Because you don't, your A list, your A unit, you don't shoot those cars driving by or whatever. So that way they, you could get the beats right in the editing, helped in the editing, and helped in the, the overall um, giving us the scope of the movie I wanted. Okay, but and for those that don't know, the A and the B unit, what's, what's their relationship with the film? So the A unit is um, the most expensive kind of expenditure that you're getting per hour per day, which means you've got all your principal actors, your cinematographer, your crew, um, and that's part of the main schedule of, of shooting the movie with the actors, the crew, the lighting, and else. Your B unit can be um, little cutaways, such as a hand on a, t on a glass, um, or in our case, shooting a car chase. You know, if you're, you're looking at a James Bond movie, Daniel Craig's not driving that car. Yeah. Um, and those can be those can be as simple as, in some cases with Accelerator, I was going out myself and shooting just alone. Mm -hmm. Establishing shots and generally it's without any, it's usually three without or sound, without audio, it's and without a, actors, generally without actors, or yeah. maybe you get a double. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that second. That second unit. Yeah. Okay. That yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And 
what was it like on set from the actor's point of view, John? Like, how long were you on the set? And kind of what was the... What is the kind of process for you? Well, for me, it was a double-edged sword since I was also helping David produce this. So uh, I wanted to get off the set as fast as possible and wrap. <laughs> and he wanted to shoot till four in the morning. <laughs> so there were a couple of nights where I said, David, would you wrap? Um, what was it like? We had to shoot fast. Just the nature of the beast, a low-budget film. We can't spend all day shooting two mm. pages. We, um, we would shoot 15, 16 pages a day, which is very fast in the film. And um, very intense. Luckily, all of our actors, all of them, were, are very talented and came to work knowing their lines. And yeah. They had their chops together. So that made it very good. And um, it was just a matter of David making a couple of takes and maybe an adjustment, and then we'd move on. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun, too. Yeah. Two takes for the scene? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. damn. Yeah. That's, yeah, because you often hear, you know what I mean, like, well, take there 10. Well, give me an example. There's a lockdown where David just uh, pulled a Spielberg, and he locked down the camera with Ryan and Laura, and that scene went on for how many pages, David? We did, uh, at one point in the movie, uh, there's, a, there's a thing called the Spielberg Wonder, which is, uh, if you've seen some of his movies... He very often will do a long scene in one take. Not the kind of good fellas, steady cam, really flashy, but just mm. actors without the camera moving too much, maybe a little bit of dolly moves. Yeah. And we did seven and it, and it was <clears throat> born out of what I wanted the kinetic the kineticism of the scene to be and out of schedule that we just couldn't cover it with seven angles. So we Lauren Ryan did a scene. Um, we kind of cleared the set and rehearsed it um, heavily with the, with the camera dolly. There were a couple dolly moves. And we did seven and a half pages of, of script, which is about seven minutes of the movie, in one take. And it's great because when people watch the movie, they don't even know. Mm, they're mm. watching the actors move around and interact and, and, and where they're standing and how they're sitting and how they're moving is um, subtextual to what's happening in the movie. And, and, how, so it's it's blocked, and how it's blocked as right. well. Right. Um, but that was out of necessity of well, we need to catch up on the schedule too. I won't lie about that. I hate to get back into field history. Oh no, here we go. Here we go. But back in the old days of classic Hollywood, that's what they used to do because it was a pain in the neck to light with arc lights and go around and do your master, do your medium shot, and then do your close-ups, which is what just kind of standard. Mm. So what they do is they would block it. Blocking is giving the actors physical instructions of where to move. It's called blocking. Hence, the actors would come into a... They would walk into... Right, so yeah, you're not moving the camera <laughs> in. cutting, yeah. resetting, and shooting a close-up. They'd walk in and then they'd walk into frame, close-up, mm -hmm. and the other actor would be over the shoulder left reacting. They'd pull away, come into a two-shots, you know... A two shot speaking to each other, so you saw a profile. If you watch, yeah, I mean, that's that was classic movie making, and that right. came out of the day transitionally, came out of the day, frankly, movies came out of vaudeville and theater. They'd set the camera up in early days of, of cinema, and they would shoot a scene, and everybody was like watching a live a, a, a theater show on camera. And as it evolved over the years, they continued with that. And then I think in the 50s, then they got into the more of the 
technique of cutting and, and, and close up mm. and moving the camera and then close up and then cutting back and forth. But yeah. If you look in the 30s and 40s in classic Hollywood, you'll find that there are scenes that would run 10 pages. There is, and, and, you, and again, you know, you have to ask yourself, why are you cutting once you get into Yeah. Why are you cutting? Why are you making that cut? And I know there's been a lot of criticism. for, And a lot of people love Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the movie about Freddie Mercury. But um, film kind of nerds and filmmakers have kind of pointed out that film as a, as a movie that overcuts. Yeah. And they yeah, pulled yeah, some yeah. scenes and said... Look at the scene. Why are there twenty cuts in it mm -hmm. when it's a conversation? Like, I mean, that's thankfully, we got out of that. Thankfully, there was a period where the handheld. Oh yeah. No, no, we where we went into like the the music video handheld yes. iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Style, especially in action pictures. Yeah. And there was a movie not long ago. We shouldn't even talk about it. That was panned because it was actually making people sick in the theater. Yeah. They thought it looked great on their little tiny monitor while shooting it but when you put it on a 70 foot screen mm, mm. and it's like you're in a helicopter crashing <laughs> people were getting physically ill yeah and i'm glad yeah. that we've moved out of that yes awful awful technique there that lasted about eight years seven eight years it did last a long time and it was just awful. yeah well it was kind of weird because remember like with the first born film and soddenberger used the the kind of hand and to get really get in with the fight scenes whatever right. and then suddenly everyone's using that technique right. and for scenes that didn't need it of course and it was just weird that everyone was like I'm in bed with this, I'm doing this, this is what, and like, oh, I need this in my film, and it'd be like, but you don't. It's, it's, it's crazy. It is. It is, an, and unfortunately that happens in the movie business mm. a lot, that if something comes out and it's innovative and, and it's a success, then you're going to see it repeated and, and uh, handheld with one of those things, and, and you see that a lot with technique, and you know, for me, the question is, what do you do? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you placing the camera here or over there? Or why, why is the camera out the window? Why is the camera handheld? Well, held? just to and, expand so on this a little bit, while I, um, during my dynasty days, I had the luxury of working with some really great actors, John Forsythe, of course, Joan Collins, Bar uh, uh, Linda Evans. But then they spun me off and created the Colbys. My father was Charlton Heston, and I remember getting a phone call Hello, John. This is Charlton Heston. <laughs> How would you like to meet me at the Paramount Lot stage eight, and we'll do a rehearsal for our first scene together? Uh, I said I'll be right down there, Mr. Heston. <laughs> and then I also had, um, um, oh my gosh, I just looked at Barbara Stanwyck, one of the great, great actresses of all time, played by <clears throat> played by uh, my grandmother. And I remember working with her, and the director would come up and give her a specific, because he wanted a cut. And she would turn only when she wanted to turn. So in other words, they can't cut to the back of her head. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's unusable. And <clears throat> she would take that moment, take, and I'm sitting here trying to stay in the scene, and I'm saying, this is great. I'm watching. This is, this is 40 years of Hollywood training. Right? Mm. And when she wanted to turn, she turned. And there was the scene. And she stole it every time. And then Chuck Heston told me he was working little tricks. One of them he was working with, I think, Robert Taylor. 
<coughs> or someone, another big actor, <coughs> and um, he, he decided that he wanted to bring peanuts into the scene. And he kept cracking peanuts and peeling them during the scene. And the focus of the scene was always back to the click, click, <laughs> and, and click <laughs> of him breaking open peanuts mm -hmm. and eating peanuts. But uh, yeah, no, it was those kind of things. In, in, uh, that's getting back to that seven-page scene is for, was very common. Ah, do you kind of pass those kind of techniques on to younger talent when you're making? Yes, I told them this. It's a technical business. It's a very technical business. When you're on stage, there are certain things you don't want to upstage people. You don't want yeah. to upstage yourself, obviously. You don't want to have your head looking upstage. And <clears throat> make sure that they can hear you, you know, keep your lines downstage, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the simplest things, and I see it all the time, young actors and this is why it was very important. We didn't have video. We shot on 35 mil millimeter platinums, okay? There was a guy who pulled focus. He had a tape measure. And from that gate in the camera, he would come out to my nose, oh. measure my nose, jot a note down, go back to the focus, okay? I had to walk into the room and on the floor is a red piece of tape. Yeah, yeah. That was called towing your mark. Yes, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Okay? If I'm two, four inches, if it's a big close-up above that mark, we'd have to do it again. They just kept an eye on my feet. Mm. Today, I see a lot of young actors, and I watch them. They're off their mark. And I'm saying to myself, and I pull them aside and say, look, you got to hit your mark. They said, what? I said they shoot so fast today. They don't care if they got it on the other if they got it on the other shot, and you give a great moment, you're not going to be in the movie. Right. You're not going to be in this scene because you're out of focus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very technical, and I see that in a with a lot of young actors that they're forgetting that this is as important. That camera is as important as your as your performance. And if they can't see you and you're out of focus, what are you doing? Mm. Your performance isn't getting to the audience. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big thing to kind of understand. Uh, so, how long did this take, like, in general? Like, I say, let's say the shooting of, how long did right. that process? Well, the, the, the first unit of, of Accelerator was really quick. I, I think we were 15 days all in to shoot yeah. the, the A unit. But we had a long post-production period, and we had a long period of, 12 because, months of pickup. Yeah, because, oh. because it's a teleportation movie, and so um, everything from the establishing shots <coughs> to the backgrounds to the elements, it took a long time, and then we did have um, a fair amount of special effects shots, and you know, the, there's a thing about those that, there's a lot of great technology for that, green screen and elements and, and all that, but for me, if the shot doesn't work, Especially, you know, when you're forced to do something that you can't do practically. Yeah. We would just kind of keep working on it and working on it and working on it, right up to the point that um, I believe the last the last shot of the movie is a background element that we 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 reshot seven or eight times, and it was of uh, top of a gondola, and uh, and I remember you were sick as a dog. We went up to get that last cutaway. It was just me and John. It was funny. We we ended the picture together that way shooting this one cutaway at the top of a gondola. 
um, that we needed as, a, as an element. And some of, these, you know, some of these shots have 20 elements, 30 elements in them. And, um, and I remember I had to climb up this um, ski mountain to get this kind of way. That was your job. I think that's where you surrendered and gave up. Yeah, gave because up. he didn't leave the car. I had to do it alone. <laughs> Take a tripod up, lug the camera up and get the shot. So The glamour of filmmaking. Yeah, it took a while. I would say, you know, production was a year and a half and we had a fairly long post-production period. So almost two years before it all got done. Okay. Yeah. And the writing of the film, mm-hmm. how, how much time would you add on for that? Um, we're, you know, Edgewood Studios is always in development of multiple projects, so I've always got multiple things going on, because you never know when you can get something financed, or right, when right. is the right time, and that's part of why I'm going to Cannes again, is to, to kind of measure the waters, and measure who's interested in what, and can I get this project going, or that project going. The idea for Accelerator, John and I came up with pretty early on, quite a long time ago, and then we met a, uh, another, another young writer named Mike Ford, and I... And my kind of initial concept of what the movie was going to be, again, was way too big. And what Mike Ford brought to it, which was really great, was he he brought me back to my roots of saying, you know, the two protagonists should be, um, you know, kind of that simple thing of of their um, young and unknowing and out of their depth. And, And so that really helped the arc of the movie. I, you know, right, right. And also helped us round all this science fiction and fantasy in some kind of reality. Yep. Um, and, and that really was his works. best contribution. Really yeah. It's a nice yeah. script. It yeah. really is. It's, it, it, you don't, it's a nice, it's wonderful. I think it also, it also the movie's from their perspective. Yeah. Right. We got okay. very lucky with, with Mike and, and David, of course, writing. Mike Ford had just had a, a certain touch with his dialogue, I thought, that was very, very good and clever. Mm-hmm. Mm. We also got lucky with our um, composer, um, I mentioned our cast, but our composer David Stahl, we uh, we met out in Los Angeles, and David yeah. is, it was an apprentice with. Well, it was funny. We auditioned a ton of composers, and and um, they and we had them compose a test score to a to a sequence of the film. We got it okay. done, got it down to five, and they did a test score, and uh, and David was just fantastic. Oh my gosh. And um, I met him in L.A., and I kind of just knew when I met him that we we synced up, mm. and we had a second lunch where. Um, you know, you, you temp score a movie with soundtracks from other movies. Okay. And in this case, we used a lot of Thomas Newman from James Bond movies and some John Williams here and there. But we really hit on, uh, and, and David David Stahl had, had uh, interned with Hans Zimmer and, right, right. Um, and had worked for John Williams. So we, we hit uh, on, with that 80s thing, so, yeah. we hit on John yeah, Williams. Yeah, yeah. So if you listen to the score, it's not a copy of John Williams, but you hear a little bit of that feel of yes. John Williams, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. so wonderful because, especially John Williams' earlier stuff, mm. you know, the, the Raiders, the Supermans, the, even the Star Wars, um, had a scope to it, but also yes. had a certain um, sense of fun to it. And that's yes, yeah, 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 no, so. for real. It, it, it has that kind of... Um, that kind of... Yeah, that I, I'd say that fun... Big kind of feel, right. you just, and it. You just summed up our movie. Yeah, yeah. and it and it it builds. We right. just summed you know up our movie. Yeah, it yeah. builds from the beginning yeah. right to the end. And it is true that as a as a filmmaker, <coughs> if you have a good composer and you get you get and oh you get gosh. a good original score, we were we were mixing the movie and and David Stoll was sent. We were in, we were in Boston. It was a miserable cold winter, and he was he lives in California and L.A. And he was sending music cues in and. 
it's very common that you, your composer does work that's not as good as the temp score, you know, because you're, you're temping it with, you know, stuff that's cost millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this case, his stuff was so much better than yeah. the temp score. And so it's right. It was just, yeah. I was at one point, I was almost in tears because when we started laying stuff in, it just fit like a glove. It was fantastic. Uh, so it was one of the most, one of the most gratifying parts of, especially when you get near the end of the process and you're tired. Uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know we've been talking for a while, guys. I appreciate it. Just, I've got two, just two questions before we sure. draw this to the end question, as it were. Sure. Because I'm intrigued, okay. right? Sure. Firstly, when you're doing the score, because I didn't realize that you give out a scene and go, can you, Scott, that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. But what, um, do you just give them the scene and go score this, or do you, is there any other direction that you give to? There's a, there's a lot of direct. I mean, I, I think every filmmaker is different. For me, um, I'm very hands on in terms of the music. We, there's we, if I'm licensing other songs from bands so that are sometimes in there, I'm that guy who chooses those. But with David Stahl, there's a lot of there's a lot of pre discussion, mm -hmm. a lot of discussion of what you want. Um, I actually didn't want to ship. I didn't want him to listen to our temp score, but it actually mm. some of our biggest so, yeah. fights were over that because I'm in the studio in Boston, and I'm thinking this is terrific, and David's saying, "No, it's not right. I want it to go. Boom, 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 boom. I want the bass." Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and, and, and I said, "David, it's fine. Come on, David, please. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's, no, fine, it's, it's not fine. fine. <laughs> and it's it's funny because I'm not a musician, so I just kind of know what I want emotionally. Yeah." Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he and, fixed it, and, and he yeah, was right. Yeah, and, then we, and we, David agreed. But but he was, but when at a certain point with the composer, um, the composer goes off and they do their art, and and it's either great or it's not. And that's why I do that. Not every filmmaker does that. You know, we we had a bunch of composers, and and for me, it was really important to have the music be right. Mm. Um, and I've actually never done that before. Send out test pieces for sure. Okay. I would just get a composer's demo reel and, and hire from there. Uh, I was just so serious about Accelerator's music being right that this is the first time, I, and I'll do it again if I mm, if I can't mm. get David David score David Stahl would be one of those guys I can't afford yeah, pretty soon. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 uh. No, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. And um, with the script, right? So you, you yeah, you said you were saying the, the script was great and everything like that. So what do you then do with the script? Do you put it out? As, as, as a book after the film? Like, what happens with the script now? Uh, I mean, you, you, in terms of marketing the script? Or yeah, like, do you, you know what I mean? Because you put out the film, mm -hmm. but then do you put out the script to help other directors or just as something for people to read? It depends, it depends on the movie and what marketing elements go with it. Generally, no, we don't do that. Um, you know, what we're, what we're more interested in right now is we're, there are already talks about Accelerator 2. So, oh, okay. You know, so I think, think the idea of taking those characters and doing some more fun stuff with them, it was, and it was interesting in making Accelerator, you know, that that, that those conversations started even when we were shooting. But right. with the script, once it's, you know, and also I'm, um, and this drives writers mad, since I am a writer as well, um, I'm a better rewriter than a writer, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm that, I kind of will work with the writer and then I'll come in and do drafts or many drafts afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, and, and, I, and I made this direction on Accelerator to, to every actor. Um, you give them a physical copy of the script and I say, I want your script, I want to see your script all marked up because I want your changes in your notes and whatever and what works and doesn't work. Because you can write it and it may look good on the page, but it may not come out of the, that specific actor's mouth right. right. So that's part of my process of directing, which is 
hey, you know, that line doesn't feel right. What about this? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I know writers don't like that, but I, I don't think that the... We're not, we're not looking to produce a script. We're looking to produce a movie. Yeah. So, you know, to be honest with you, probably if you looked at the my director's script of Accelerator, what what's on the page is not what's on the screen. Okay. And so if we were going to re release it, we'd probably just release what was put on the screen. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big believer in, in hacking into it and changing things if it doesn't work. Um, and one of the actors who did that really well um, was Max Caulfield because he was doing an accent. He was doing an American accent and uh, he was doing a Southern American accent. And just some stuff was not right and he came in and he was wonderful with that. So, but, I, but that, that would, I would challenge everybody with that. And I think it also makes the actors more comfortable with their roles. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're here doing Sci-Fi London. Mm -hmm. So what next for the film? Any more festivals? Like when does it hit on the full kind of release? When can people see this film if they can't catch you at a festival? Right. We've got a few more festivals that we'll be doing throughout the rest of this year, 2019, and then the film will get released around the end of the year. Um, we literally, and that's again what I'm going to the Cannes Film Festival for, we literally sell territory by territory the entire world, when I say territory, meaning we'll sell one country and another country individually, and that's, um, so it, Accelerator will be coming to audiences, um, you know, over a period of time, and it will be on all digital platforms, it might be on TV, might be theatrical in some areas, it depends. Um, we're just locking that down. That's a long process for independence right now. Right. It used to be quicker, it's, but with the advancement of technology and the ability to you know, watch a movie on your phone, unfortunately, there's more piracy too, so we have to be careful about how we release it. Yeah. We, we do try to release it as, in as many territories at the same time as we can to deal with piracy. So, but it'll be coming out, it'll be everywhere. So you'll be able to catch it. Awesome. That and, is fantastic. And I, I just say that if, if people want to catch up on release information, they can go to the, the film's website, which is acceleratormovie.com, and our Facebook page is Accelerator Movie, and release information is probably the best place to find it. Cool. And Twitter or Instagram, do you have those? Accelerator Movie on Twitter and Instagram. I, I'm, not, I'm behind on that. I haven't done much on <laughs> It gets to be a lot of hours to keep social media. <laughs> yeah. And we don't no, have a for staff sure. for that. When we put on a marketing team, PR team, then, then those, the Instagram and Twitter will go hot. But right now they're pretty dormant. So Facebook and, and the website for now. And, but when the films come out, you can just accelerate a movie on everything. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, thank you for your time, David Granola. <laughs> uh, no, that was wrong. That was wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and John James. <laughs> hey, it's not the first time. It's not the first time I've heard that. Thank you very much, Thank guys. You, Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know, it was it was funny because I like I didn't know who David and um, John were, and I just got talking to them at the festival. And it was great. And then um, when Louis saw them, he he was just like, "Oh shit, time chasers!" And uh, yeah, it was this it was this crazy kind of thing. And then um, you know, like I I was filled in on the whole time chasers thing, and you know, like yeah, it was just it was just crazy just to see like adoration for film and, and the whole kind of process of it 
and then speaking with them and, and just finding out just all what went into them putting this together it was great and you know we've I've got another interview with David um just talking about the whole processes but I don't want to make the episode too long so I'm going to bring that to you in a few days time okay but uh yeah um there'll probably be another episode tomorrow because as I said I've still got reviews and all of that so um yeah um check the details of the episode for um you know just those edgewood links and social medias and all of that kind of business okay all right people thanks for listening um i'm glad you're enjoying the podcast share it with your peoples rate us on itunes just you know all of that business and uh yeah enjoy the ride all right we out